0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, friends and family. Praise the Lord. So this is the day after Resurrection Sunday. Praise the Lord. Jesus arose from the grave. The grave is empty and we have eternal life because of him. Praise God. So today we're going to be studying in Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 56 entitled, Will Anyone Trust God's Servant? One of the central themes in this section of Mark's Gospel is the unbelief. Unbelief of the people who came into contact with Jesus and all of these people had every reason to trust Jesus yet all of them failed to do so, including his own disciples. So As we study this chapter, we need to keep in mind the solemn warning to us in Hebrews 3 verse 12 that says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So God takes unbelief seriously and so should we. In verses 6, 1 through 6, Jesus, he returns to Nazareth where a year before he had been rejected by the people and he had been evicted from the synagogue. See Luke 4, verse 16, 16 through 30. It was certainly an act of grace on his part to give the people another opportunity to hear his word. To another opportunity to be believe and to be saved, and yet their hearts were still hard. And this time they did not evict him. They simply did not take him seriously. You know what? We need to take God seriously more today than ever before. Our Lord's reputation had once again preceded him, so he was permitted to teach in the synagogue there keep in mind that he was ministering to people who knew him very well because Nazareth was his it was his hometown so they they were like neighbors you know however these acquaintances had no spiritual perception at all Jesus reminded them that he told them at that first dramatic visit that a prophet is without honor in his own Country and among his own people in Mark 6, verse 4. Also in Luke, also in John. Two things astonished these people his mighty works and his wonderful wisdom. So actually, Jesus did not do any mighty works while he was there, though. So the people must have been referring to uh, the reports they had heard about his miracles. They, it was their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered Jesus from having a greater ministry right there among them. And what was their problem? You know, why were they unable to trust Him? Why were they unable to trust and to experience the wonders of His power, to experience the signs, wonders, and miracles, and grace as, as others did in other places? You know, they thought they really knew him. After all, he had been their neighbor, actually, for like 30 years. They'd seen him work in the carpenter shop, and he, he, to them, just appeared to be just another Nazarene. He was a commoner, so to speak, and the people, they saw no reason to commit themselves to him. It was just... You know, he was like their next-door neighbor. Well, a carpenter was a respected artisan in that day, but nobody expected a carpenter to do miracles. Nobody expected a carpenter to teach these amazingly profound truths in the synagogue like Jesus was. Nobody spoke like Jesus did. Nobody spoke, nobody even... Exhibited the authority and the power and the ability to teach and the knowledge that he had. He taught profound truth in the synagogue. So people are thinking, you know, well, where did he get all this power and wisdom? From God or from Satan? Mark 3, see Mark 3, verse 22. And why did his brothers and sisters not possess the same power and the wisdom, speaking of his own personal individual family. Why did his brothers and sisters not believe in him? The people who called him, quote, the son of Mary, were actually insulting him, because in that day, you identified you identified a man by calling him a uh, the son of his father, not his mother. So the people of Nazareth were offended at him, which literally means they stumbled over him. So they could not explain him, so they rejected him. Jesus was certainly a stone of stumbling to them because of their unbelief. See Isaiah 8:14, Romans 9:32. 33. Twice in the gospel record, you find Jesus marveling. And as this passage reveals, he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews, and he marveled at the great faith of a Roman centurion. So that your word was used twice. A Gentile, the Roman centurion was a Gentile. In Luke 7, verse 9, you can find that. Instead of remaining at Nazareth, Jesus departs and made another circuit of the towns and villages in Galilee. His heart was broken as he saw the desperate plight of the people. See Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So he decides to send out his disciples to minister with his authority and with his power. So he's going, uh, yes, he sends out his disciples, just like he sends out us. He sends us out to minister with his authority and his power. Let's really look at this closely. Excuse me. In chapter 6, verse 7 through 29, when the Lord originally called the 12 apostles, his purpose was to teach and train them so that they might assist him and eventually be able to take his place when he returned to the Father. See Mark 3, 13. Before sending them out, he reaffirmed their authority to heal and to cast out demons, as it says in Mark 6 and 7. And he gave them some pointed instructions. See Matthew 10 for actually more detailed account of this sermon. He told them to take what they already owned and not go out and buy special equipment for their their itinerant travels. They're not to be loaded down with a bunch of extra baggage. And we really can't miss this note of urgency in this commissioning sermon. Jesus wanted them to be adequately Supplied, but not to the point of ceasing to live by faith. So the word bag means a beggar's bag. They were definitely not to beg or, for either food or money as they ministered from place to place. They would encounter both hospitality and hostility, both both friends and enemies. So he cautioned them to stay at one house in each community and not to pick and choose when it came to their food and and their accommodations. Because, you know, they were there to be profitable servants, not pampered guests. So if a house or a village did not receive them, they had his permission, they had the Lord's permission to declare God's judgment on those people. Now listen, we're, this is New Testament teaching. This is Jesus' teaching when he was on earth. So it was customary for the Jews to shake the dust off their feet whenever they left the, the Gentile territory, but for Jews to do this to their fellow Jews would be something new. The word translated send in Mark uh, 6 verse 7 is apostello in the Greek and it gives us the English word apostle. It means to send someone with a special commission to represent another and to accomplish his work. So Jesus gave these 12 men both the apostolic authority and the divine ability to do the job that he sent them to do. They were not, quote, on their own. They were not on their own. They represented him in all that they did and all that they said. And we noted already before in Mark 3 that a comparison of the list of the apostles' names reveals that the names were given in several pairs like Peter and Andrew, James and John, philip and bartholomew etc so jesus sent them out in pairs because it was always easier not easier not only easier but safer for servants to travel and work together two are better than one it says in ecclesiastics 4 9 and the law as previously observed required two witnesses to verify a matter so, you know, it, it would seem like that would be the Bible principle that, that the Lord would send us out in twos. And usually he does, you know, there's twos, there's either a couple or there's uh, that goes out like Chuck and I would go out and do outreach, or there's um, you go out with a friend, you and a friend, but usually not, usually we don't go out by ourselves. We're usually sent by twos. So they would not only help each other, they would also learn from each other. Two heads are better than one, right? So the men went out and they did what Jesus told them to do. It is remarkable that a band of ordinary men could go out in this way to represent Almighty God. And that they could demonstrate their authority by performing miracles. God's commandments always include His enablements. So they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, called on sinners to repent, and healed many that were sick. See Mark 6, 12-13. The reports of Christ's ministry augmented by that of His disciples. See Luke 9, 7. Even reached into the palace of Herod Antipas. Mark called him king, which is what Herod wanted to be called. But in reality, godless Herod was only a tetrarch, the ruler of the fourth part of the nation. When Herod the Great died, the Romans divided his territory among his three sons, and Antipas, was made Tetrarch of Perea and Galilee. Herod Antipas had married the daughter of King Aretas fourth, and then had divorced her so he could marry Herodias, the wife of his half-brother, Herod Philip. So it was a wicked alliance that was contrary to the law of Moses. And then fearless, uh, John the Baptist had denounced the king for his sins. And when Herod heard about the wonderful works of Jesus, he was sure that John the Baptist had come back from the dead to haunt him and condemn him. Herod's conscience was bothering him over that. He was unwilling to face his sins honestly and repent. So at this point, Mark shifted into a flashback to explain how how John the Baptist had, Baptist had been cruelly and unjustly arrested and he had been slain. So even in this brief account, we sense the tension in the palace for Herod feared John, privately listened to him preach, and was in a state of perplexity over what he should do. And then Queen Herodias, on the other hand, hated John, wanted to kill him, and patiently waited for the most convenient time in their in their evil character and lawless deeds. These two (laughs) reminded us of Ahab and Jezebel. The strategic day came in Mark 621. For Herodias to put her plan into action, the celebration of Herod's birthday, so royal feasts were extravagant both in their display of not only wealth but in their provision for pleasure. The Jews would not have permitted a woman to dance before a group of men, and most Gentile mothers would have forbidden a daughter to do what the daughter of Herodias did. history says that the girl's name was Salome, but the girl was a part of the mother's plan to get rid of John the Baptist and Salome played her part well when Herod heard the girl's request he was greatly distressed it says in Mark fourteen thirty four, where the same verb is used of Jesus but he had to be true to his promise or he had to lose face lose face before a group of, of these influential people. The word oath in Mark 6:26 is actually in the plural because it says for his many oaths with an S, plural sake for his many oaths sake because Herod had repeatedly declared his desire to reward the girl, for her performances. So this was one way that he had of impressing his guests, but it backfired on him. So Herod, he had not been courageous enough to obey John's word, but now he had to obey his own word. And the result was death of an innocent man. So it's remarkable that there's no evidence that any of the Jewish leaders did anything to rescue John the Baptist after he had been arrested. You would think that somebody would have done something. He was such a... um, Everybody must have known of John the Baptist and about John the Baptist. You would think that the religious leaders or somebody would have tried to help him. The common people considered John a prophet sent from God, but the religious leaders did not obey John's message. See Mark 11:27 through 33. John's death was the first of three notable violent deaths in the history of Israel. And the other two are the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. So the significance of these events, it review the comments on Mark 3, 22 through 30. Herod had feared that John's message would stir up a revolt among the people, something that he wanted to avoid. So he wanted to please his wife, even though it meant the murdering of a godly man. John's disciples were permitted to take the the body of their leader and bury it. And then men went to tell Jesus what had happened. Find that in Matthew 14, verse 12. No doubt the report of John's death deeply stirred our Lord, for he knew that one day his own life would be laid down. And we meet with Herod Antipas one more time in the Gospels when he tried jesus he hoped to see the lord perform a miracle he hoped see luke 23 6 through 12. jesus would not even speak to this adulterer and murder let alone please him by doing a miracle jesus called herod a fox in luke 13 verses 31 through 35 and this was a good description for this crafty man. In A.D. 39, Herod Agrippa, in Acts 12, 1, nephew of Herod Antipas denounced his uncle to the Roman emperor, and Antipas was disposed and sent into exile. The Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8:36. And then in verse 36, verse 30 through 56, Jesus takes his disciples to this secluded place so that they might rest after their labors. And he wants to discuss with them their ministry, discuss that and prepare them for their next mission. So... You know, even God's own son needed time to rest. He was here when he came to the earth, those 33 years. He had a flesh and body like ours that gets tired. So he needed time to rest, fellowship with his His friends, and find renewal from his father, from the father. So... There was another factor that was growing opposition of both political and religious leaders. That was going on as well. So Herod's murder of John the Baptist was evidence enough that the atmosphere there was now changing and that Jesus and his disciples had to be very careful in the next chapter, we we're going to see that the hostility of the Jewish religious leaders and also the political enthusiasm of the crowds has always been a problem, was always a problem. John 6, verse 15. The best thing to do was to get away, but the overzealous crowds would not leave him alone. They followed him to the to the area near Bethesda, hoping to see him perform some miracle. Miraculous Cures. Luke, See Luke 9, 10, John 6, 1. So in spite of the interruption to his plans, the Lord welcomed them, taught them the word, and healed those who were afflicted. So what an example, actually, for us to follow. Mark recorded... Two miracles that Jesus performed the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 33 through 44 and then Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to minister because he had compassion excuse me on the needy multitudes see Matthew 9 36 so this time the multitudes came to them and the disciples wanted to to send them away as yet they had not learned to look at life through the eyes of their master so though they were being taught by Jesus every single day Jesus was teaching them and training them excuse me they were not able to see through his eyes I think like he would choose for them to To them, the crowds were a problem, (laughs) perhaps even a nuisance. But to Jesus, they were as sheep without a shepherd. And that's how we need to look at people, too. They are sheep without a shepherd. We need to have compassion on people. Um, So the disciples here had two suggestions for solving the problem. Either send the people away to find their own food or raise enough money to buy a bit of bread for everybody. So as far as the disciples were concerned, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and nothing could be done. And that's, that's how they thought about it. Jesus looked at the situation not as a problem, but as an opportunity. This is a good example right here for us to remember and, look and keep in our minds is that jesus looked at this situation not as a problem but as an opportunity to trust the father and glorify his name and that's how we have to look at some of our trials and the things that we go through oh my gosh that just puts it's just sends excitement through me the fact that we need to and i need to remind myself of this so many times to not look at situations as a problem which is what we see a lot of situations as, but as an opportunity to, to trust the Father, to glorify His name. So we would rejoice more in our different situations that we go through if we looked at it that way. An effective leader is someone who sees potential in problems and is willing to act by faith. So acting on the basis of human wisdom, his disciples saw the problem, but they did not see the potential. Uh, And a lot of times that's the way that we are too. How many times God's people have complained, you know, if if we only had enough money, we could do something. Or, you know, um, in that time, 200 Pence or denarii would be the equivalent of a year's wages for the average laborer. The first step is not to measure our resources, but it's to determine God's will and it's to trust Him to meet the need. You know, we can just put it out there, and whatever our need is, if it's the will of God for us to do a ministry or to go a certain place and minister here or minister there he's going to make a way he's going to meet the need we can count on him for that he said he would supply the need why would he send us somewhere and not give us the provision that we needed knowing that we couldn't do it without provision so in John 6, verses 8 through 9, it was Andrew who found the, the young lad, the little boy with the lunch, and the Lord had the people sit down, they were all organized into groups, sat down on the grass. See Psalms 23:2, see Psalm 78:19. And this was quite a contrast to Herod's glittering sensual feast. But Jesus took this little lunch, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the hungry people. And the miracle took place in his hands, not in theirs. For why? For whatever we give to him, he can bless it, and not only that, he can multiply it. As we see, oh my gosh, all throughout the Bible we see how God blesses and multiplies. Blesses and multiplies. So, you know what? We're not the manufacturers. We're only the distributors. John tells us that Jesus used this miracle as the basis for a sermon on the bread of life in John 6, 22. So... He didn't perform miracles just to meet human needs, though that was important. He wanted each miracle to be a revelation of himself, a sermon in action. For the most part, the people were amazed at the miracles. They appreciated the help that he gave them, but failed to get, many times they failed to get the spiritual message. See John 12:37. 37 They wanted the gift, but they did not want the giver. So the enjoyment of physical blessings they wanted, but not the enrichment of spiritual blessings. That is so sad. And, you know, I I think we've probably all seen that in different people. They wanted the giver of, of, they wanted the gift. They wanted God to give, 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 give to them. But they did not want to receive the spiritual blessing that he had paid such a high price for. Then in verses 45 through 56, there were a number of miracles that were involved in this event. Jesus Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking on the water. Um, And Mark did not record this. Matthew recorded it in chapter 14. Jesus stilling the storm and the boat arriving on shore the instant Jesus entered it. And we can look at verse 21 in John chapter 6. It was certainly a night of wonders for the, the disciples. Why did Jesus compel his disciples to leave this crowd? I would say because the crowd was getting restless and that meant there might be danger. So, you know, they might start a popular uprising to make Jesus king. Look at John 6 verses 14 and 15. The 12 were not ready to uh, face this kind of test because their ideas of the kingdom were still too national and political. So there was a second reason. He wanted to teach them a lesson on faith that would help prepare them for the work that lay ahead of them after he was gone. The disciples had just completed a very successful mission, healing the sick and preaching the gospel. They had shared in the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. They were on a, quote, spiritual high, and this in itself was dangerous it's good to be on the mountaintop you know what if you don't get careless you could step off the cliff if you get careless spiritual blessings must be balanced out with burdens and and battles otherwise we may become pampered children instead of mature sons and daughters we want to become mature sons and daughters So then on a previous occasion, Jesus had led his disciples into a storm and following that had followed an exciting day of teaching as we see in Mark uh, 4, 35 through 41. And now here after a time of miraculous ministry, he again led them into a storm. In the book of Acts, it's interesting to note that the storm of official persecution began after the disciples had won 5,000 people to Christ. Is that not interesting? See Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. And then maybe while they were in confinement, the apostles... Uh, Maybe they recalled the storm that followed the feeding of the 5,000. They must have encouraged themselves with the assurance that Jesus would come to them and that he would see them through. Every new experience of testing, it, it demands of us more faith. It demands of us more courage. So in that first storm experience, the disciples had Jesus in the boat with them, but this time he was on the mountain praying for them. He was teaching them to live by faith. So he was not with them. But, you know, for that matter, even when he was in the ship with them, they were still afraid. So the scene illustrates the situation of God's people today. We're in the midst of this stormy world, toiling and seemingly ready to sink. And it does, we've been through some severe years here, but you know what? We're not going to sink. He's in glory, interceding for us. He, He ever intercedes for us. And when the hour seems the darkest, He's going, He comes for us right then. The darkest hour is just before the dawn, that old saying, and You know what? So he comes for us in that darkest hour, and then we will reach the shore. The waves that frightened the disciples, uh, they were only stair steps to bring the Lord Jesus to them. Think of it that way. That's totally awesome. These things we're going through that are so difficult sometimes in life, especially the last few years here. Well, not even that. People are always at different times going through difficult things, sometimes frightening things. But if we look at them as stair steps to bring the Lord Jesus to us, you know, we would have a much, uh, we would have much more faith. We would have a happier outlook on life. (laughs) <laughs> then we would not be burdened down we would not be afraid definitely so he waited until their situation was actually desperate that um that point where they could they they knew they could do nothing to help themselves he allowed them to get desperate does that sound like anything that's happened in your life because it he does allow us to get into those places but why did he act as though he would pass them by that would be a question some might ask because he wanted them to recognize them to trust him and to invite him into the ship well they did not recognize him they did not recognize him but instead they they screamed with fear does this not sound like us sometimes because they thought he was a ghost But Jesus reassured them with his word. He said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. In Mark 6, verse 50. So at this point, Peter asked Jesus to let him walk on the water. But in Mark's gospel, he omits this detail here. But tradition says that Mark wrote as Peter's spokesman. So maybe Peter was... Hesitant to include this experience lest it give people the wrong impression. You know, it's easy to criticize Peter for sinking, but you know, have you ever gotten out of the boat yourself? Let's ask ourselves that. Have we ever actually gotten out of the boat ourselves to walk on water? The disciples had failed their test because they lacked spiritual insight and receptive hearts the the miracle of the loaves and fishes had made no lasting impression on them and Jesus could multiply food he could feed thousands of people and then surely he could protect them in the storm now that's how they should have looked at it or should have been looking at it if he could do all that then he can take care of this storm But you know, sometimes we don't always think like that, but we should. So even a disciple of Jesus Christ can develop a hard heart if he fails to respond to the spiritual lessons that must be learned in the course of life and ministry. You know, there is, let me just say in this chapter here of Mark chapter 6, there is so much to glean from and to learn, and to get in our hearts, that He does not leave us alone, that He, that he does provide our every need, um, there's just so much, this chapter would need to be studied over and over again, to really just get it within our hearts, and recall it, when we have needs, when we feel like th- that He's not even there, He's there. Anyway, as we review these two miracles, we see that Jesus, he brings provision and he also brings protection. So the Bible says in Psalms 23, verses 1 and verse 4, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will fear no evil. Amen. Praise God for his word. Can we not just praise him for his word? the strength, the power of his word that goes within us that that is our weapon of warfare even, our sword. So if we trust him, we will always have sufficiency and we will always be secure. We'll have sufficiency and security no matter what the situation might be. So in closing, the important thing is that we trust him. Amen. Mark closed this section on a positive note as he described the people who brought their sick for Jesus to heal. These people had faith and their faith was rewarded. So this scene is it's in contrast to that in Nazareth where very few were healed because the people lacked faith. And this, we'll close with this, uh, 1 John 5 and 4 and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith 1 John 5 and 4 so in saying that trust in the Lord always gain from the word of God uh, Get get it go over this chapter again get it in your heart that even though he waits till the last minute sometimes he is there All the time. He is not going to pass us by. He is going to help us even recognize him. Amen. God bless you each and every one. I pray that uh, we pray for you. I've said that on probably many, many of my podcasts and YouTube videos. If you have a special prayer need or someone to come into agreement with you, don't hesitate to Uh, Search us out on Facebook. You can find us under City Changers, Illinois. You can also email me at gmanazak8 at gmail.com. God bless you each and every one. Have an amazing week.